Chapter 2 September 23rd, 33 Hill Street, London Surprisingly soon, the strangeness of 1815 began to feel normal. With the help of newspaper ads, a house agent, and ready money, we had a suitable house, fully furnished, indoor privy, fashionable West End address, on a six-month lease. We'd hired three servants, commissioned more clothes, and started the scary work of depositing the fake money. But there was so much to do, and no time to lose. Routines were established, habits began to form. I would meet Mrs. Smith, our cook housekeeper, downstairs daily to review menus, plan the shopping, and go over accounts. A stout woman with mild dark eyes and smallpox scars, she had a gentle way of explaining even things that must have seemed very obvious to her. One morning, though, she threw me a new challenge as soon as I sat down in her dim little room down the hall from the kitchen. Grace tells me, miss, the drawing room chimney is smoking. Is it? I suppose she knows. Grace was the maidservant. Have you not noticed? I had no idea. Coal smoke was one more thing the house smelled like, along with the beeswax candles, the turpentine and vinegar as cleaning products, the lavender that scented my bedsheets. When you met the house agent, did he say when these chimneys have been cleaned last? I think the fire in the kitchen is not drawing as it should either. We have to clean them. I thought of Oliver Twist, and the scene where little Oliver narrowly escapes becoming a climbing boy. Mrs. Smith blinked slowly, her way of repressing amazement at how little I knew. The Institute's solution to our having no family, friends, or acquaintances, in an England where the gentry all seemed to know each other, or be within a few degrees of separation, was to make us orphaned siblings, the children of a Jamaica planter. It was not an ideal biography, but it could explain away a lot, like ignorance about chimneys. At your order, miss, I will send Mr. Jenks to find a sweep. I must have still looked confused, for she added, At this hour, they're in the streets, crying out their trade. But tell him to get only one who uses brushes, not one with a boy. She blinked. Brushes? Some have special brushes with long handles that go all the way into the chimney. I've not heard of such a thing. Even so, they exist. I was feeling sure of this. Make a point of it when you speak with Jenks. I talked to Jenks, the manservant, as little as possible myself. My dealings with him were always unpleasant. He doesn't like me, I had complained to Liam. Whenever I ask him to do something, he sneers at me and finds a reason it's impossible. Liam had looked skeptical. Jenks was always fawningly polite to him. I was thinking about Jenks and about the awkward necessity of having servants at all, later in Green Park. A morning walk was another routine we'd established, a time to discuss things without fear of being overheard. That day, though, we hadn't been talking much, just walking in brisk silence down an alley of plain trees. It was sunny but cold, with a subtle change in the slant of light suggesting autumn. A gust of wind had caught falling leaves and was swirling them in the air above us. It's time I wrote to Henry Austin, Liam said, apropos of nothing. Don't you think? I looked at him in amazement. Ah, uh, yeah. 
It was what I'd been urging him to do almost since we'd arrived in 1815, certainly since we'd taken the house on Hill Street and had a fancy address to write from. Liam had kept putting me off, saying that we needed more research. We'd take long walks in the parks or along fashionable shopping streets, go to art exhibits or to the theater, obsessed with studying how the gentry behaved and carried themselves, the words they used and how they pronounced them. I empathized in a way. We had one chance to make a good impression on Henry Austin. Failure meant losing our best opportunity to meet his sister. In another way, it was making me crazy. There was no time to lose.